Welcome everybody to the A-Game Podcast. Back at it again with another interview. It is a pleasure to once again be on. Today, we are here with my teacher, Mr. Thorne, Gary Thorne, uh, play-by-play announcer for so many years. Um, and it's just a pleasure to have him on. How are you? Very good. Yeah, Great yeah. to do it with you. Yeah, amazing. So, uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Thorne's been teaching here at Dunn School uh, for the last year, and I've learned a ton from him, and it's just a pleasure to have him on. So just kind of want to go through um, his life as getting into sports broadcasting goes um, and, and what it's taken to get up to this point. So uh, the first thing I want to ask you, just kind of breaking down uh, what your initial interests were, maybe as a child or if you were into sports up until getting into broadcasting and kind of what your early life looked like in that realm. Well, I was always interested in sports, you know, starting with Little League Baseball and uh, moving on. I played all through high school, football, basketball, baseball, the usual uh, gamut. Uh, and my interest in broadcasting, I, I, I always had an interest in uh, radio. My grandmother listened to radio all the time and we lived with her for a number of years. So I, I, heard, I heard radio shows at the time. They were all the half-hour programs like we have on TV were done on radio first. And she also listened to some sports on there. And I just, I don't know, I just fell in love with the radio and wanted to really do something, uh, to do some broadcasting. And uh, I don't know why uh, that interest pushed me when I was a junior in high school to uh, go get an FCC license. I studied, I took the test. You had to have a license then in order to be on the air at a commercial station. And I got my license, and uh, this is in Old Town, Maine, where I grew up. There were only three radio stations in the area. And uh, when I was a junior in high school, I sent a letter out, (laughs) Uh, not knowing anybody. I'd never been inside a radio, a TV studio, never done anything. And one of the stations needed a person to work on Sundays. And so uh, I got the job. And I worked from Sundays from 7 in the morning to 5 at night. I did everything at the station. Everything from playing music to doing the news to having religious shows on Sunday morning that were live <laughs> yeah. in a nearby studio to uh, running the board on a Red Sox, Celtics, or whatever game. And uh, the station that I went to work for, which was WABI in Bangor, was one of the, was the leading sports station for a local high school and college sports. They did the University of Maine sports. And they, uh, they needed somebody to do some high school basketball. And, I, and so they said, you want to do it? And I said, oh, yeah. And the next thing I know, I'm doing basketball games, high school basketball games and some university games. And that's how I broke in. Yeah. So that experience of doing, I feel like doing everything probably just helped you in every oh, way. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. just getting into that. Um, was there any in your upbringing uh, up to that point, maybe during that process of getting that job on Sundays, did you meet anybody in particular that like stood out to you that was an inspiration? Or was well, uh, I mean, I've never forgotten the people that gave me the chance. Uh, the man's name was John McRae. He had been the morning man at WABI for a number of years and had moved up to the position of general manager of the station. And this was a pretty big operation. It was both a radio and TV operation. They built a brand new place called Studio City that set onto itself with a couple of studios and a good AM FM studio and a TV studio. So it was really the place to work in the area if you were gonna be involved in it. And uh, John McRae was the one who gave me the chance. I mean, he came in for the first, I think, three Sunday mornings that I worked. I knew nothing. Yeah. I knew nothing. <laughs> so he came in and taught me how to run the board, how to tape shows, how to set up for a studio show. I mean, he taught me everything that I had to do uh, and gave me the chance to do it. 
And I mean, I'm a scared high school junior walking yeah. into this. I mean, I'm petrified. Mm-hmm. And he believed in me. And, and once, you know, after that third Sunday, he said, you know, you're going to come in next week. And you're going to do it alone. You're going to be fine. Yeah. And, and I did. I mean, I don't know if I was fine, but, but I got through it. And, uh, you know, I, it, it was a chance. And so I've always remembered him and Barry Darling was the other one. Barry was a radio announcer in the area at WABI, and he came in on a couple of Sunday mornings to help me. He's been a friend my whole life. Uh, he's still in, uh, involved in radio, public radio in Maine, and, uh, and he was patient. I mean, he told, I know he told, I found out later, he told John McRae, this kid's never going to make it. He can't <laughs> do this. He's too nervous. He's too, you know, and, uh, and Barry said, you proved me wrong. He said, you kept coming, and uh, yeah, and you did it. Yeah. I definitely think just something that arises to me when I'm thinking about this is the shift from that time when it was all radio, and then now where it's, like, segued into, like, more of the TV. Um, as far as, like, radio voices go, you were listening, and did you ever try to, like, mimic a cadence once you started to go, or did you kind of just go with the flow as far as what felt comfortable? No, I never mimicked. Um, I guess kind of ironically, uh, I never even thought about mimicking. Uh, I just, I think I was too wrapped up in trying to make sure I was doing things right, that I was properly prepared, ready to go, doing it right, that I never thought about trying to imitate anybody else. So broadcasters I really liked and, and enjoyed listening to and always thought about why is it I like what they do. So in that sense, I, I, tried, to, I tried to do the same things to be conversational, to be a friendly voice coming across on radio or TV, um, to, to be just talking to people about the games as well as describing it. Uh, but no, I never mimicked anybody. Yeah, one thing I want to ask, speaking of preparation, you were talking about, oh, I'm uh, ultra prepared for your broadcasting when you were in high school. I think a lot of people, the common public, overshadows what goes into preparing for a game, whether it's high school or pro. Um, once you took that next step as now you're in college or now you're at the next level, can you maybe take me through a preparation of a broadcast and what all went into it? Yeah, and it really doesn't, for me at least, it never changed very much from whether I was doing high school or the New York Mets. Um, the preparation is, is what you're trying to do <clears throat> is to be sure you understand what the issues of the day are for the teams that you're covering. What's going on? What's the big issue for Team A and Team B going into this game? Is somebody hurt? Who's their leading scorer? Who's their leading rebounder? Who are their leaders? Uh, who's their coach? What's his philosophy? I mean, to have a true understanding of what's going on with the clubs. And then to, you have to, the only way you're going to get that is by one, reading whatever coverage there is of the teams. Secondly, talking to the players and the coaches. And that's the same at every level. I mean, I always did that at every level. And so you get a feel for what's going on with the club. That gives you stories to talk about in the course of the game. And then be prepared to do the game itself. Who are the players? Who are the ones that are probably going to stand out? And if somebody who's not a standout performs really well in a game, you've got a great story. If the guy who performs well all the time performs well, you've got a great story. Yeah, absolutely. You know that. I mean, you, you know that that's what you're looking for. So the preparation, I mean, to me, it's always been, it's the most essential part of the broadcast. Yeah. The easy part is once you're on the air. 
The hard part is getting ready to do it. Yeah. I think a lot of it um, ha- is just being in tune with the sporting world. I think a lot of just your knowledge and what comes from it is just watching and just like taking it all in rather than like just preparing for a particular game. Um, that's kind of what I took away yeah. from that. Yeah. Um, looking back on particular athletes, cause I know they have a really big impact as far as your like pro career goes. Um, whether it was working with them via interview or just getting to know them, whether it was in the Mets clubhouse or whatever it was, was there any athlete that stuck out to you or even a coworker that was really like, this is why I'm here and this defines like mm. why it's so great to be here? Yeah, certainly. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I've been very lucky with the people I've worked with. Um, and I think going with the Mets, I mean, I worked with Ralph Kiner, a Hall of Fame baseball player, one of the great home run hitters of all time, and a wonderful man. He was funny, He was, but he knew the game. He was soft-spoken, uh, very conversational. He was just a really good guy. Uh, working with him was tremendous. I worked with Bob Murphy on radio for the first four years with the Mets. Bob was an institution. He's, a, he's, he's in the Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame. Bob was one of the original three announcers for the New York Mets. Uh, with Lindsey Nelson and Ralph Kiner. They did both radio and TV. That's, those were the days where you went back and forth every three innings. You went from TV to radio and back again. Uh, Tim McCarver, Timmy was a great friend. I always, Timmy would, would have been a great manager. He understood the game from the inside out. He always looked at it. He was all three innings ahead of <laughs> yeah. what was going on in the game. Uh, Tom Seaver, Tom who became a very close friend. Uh, Tom just, Tom loved the game. And doing games, at one point it was uh, Tom and Ralph and I in the booth. And that was great fun because you had a pitcher, great pitcher and a great hitter, two Hall of Fame players. Yeah. And they'd go at one another during the games, kidding one another. You know, Ralph always used, used to say, if you pitchers knew anything about hitters, we'd never get a hit. <laughs> and, and, and Tom used to say, if you hitters knew anything about pitchers, you'd hit a thousand. Uh, and, they'd, and, they, and it was great fun doing games with them because they, they did that sort of thing on the air and because they had such great insights. I mean, they were great players and they understood the game. So I've been very lucky in that regard. And then, you know, at ESPN, I, I did a lot of international games with Rick Sutcliffe. Rick and I had a, had a great time doing playoffs and World Series for a number of years. Um, and hockey, I, I made some great friends uh, doing games there. Peter McNabb was my partner doing the Devils games. And then... Uh, we did ESPN together for a number of years, Bill Clement and I. So I've been, I've been very lucky with the people I've worked with. It's been fun. Mm-hmm. It was fun going to the booth just to be with them and to talk about the game. Yeah. And fans really love that when they get to hear the stories from these great players in the course of doing whatever, hockey, baseball, football, whatever it may be. Yeah, more than anything, it's more like the relationships you build outside of yeah. the game, I think. Like, yeah. you're talking about actually having true friends from this game. Yeah. And I think that's just, that's pretty yeah. special. Too. And I should mention players. You asked me about yeah. players, too. Cause, <laughs> I neither, yeah. I mean, the, uh, I've had some really, I mean, great, being with the Mets in that 86 year when they won the World Series, a uh, great playoff year, and obviously a championship, uh, I would... Doc Gooden and Daryl Strawberry, I really liked. We they were they were great guys to talk to about the game. Unfortunately, with the problems they ran into off the field, I think really destroyed two Hall of Fame careers. They were great players. Gary Carter was was wonderful with me. 
Uh, there was never a no from Gary, and whenever I needed an interview or to do something, Gary was always there to do it. And I always really appreciated that from him. I got close to Keith Hernandez and Ron Darling uh, because we ended up doing broadcasts together with the Mets, still do some Met games with them. Uh, so I got very close uh, in working with them. So, the, you know, you, you're around them every day, and you, you hope you establish some kind of a relationship with players like that. Uh, it makes life a lot easier and uh, makes the job a lot easier in getting information and knowing what's yeah. going on. So those are some of the guys. One thing uh, in today's game, uh, the willingness for players to address the press and all that, I feel it's a lot less than it used to be. So um, that definitely probably helped you just, like you said, Gary being there always. But guys now just skip press conferences, yeah. and that's hard. I can only imagine for journalists and reporters to like continue their job. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to go into, during your career, like notable call wise, um, have you ever had like a moment where you're like, this is defining as far as my career, like this is my call? Um, and, or has there been just a moment in the game that like has really uh, stuck with you throughout the years? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been lucky and there have been a lot of those, I guess. But I mean, in no particular order, I think of uh, the 86 World Series, game six. And the comeback the Mets made, the, you know, coming back to win that game and move on to game seven. Uh, those calls in that game six um, were just, they were unbelievable. You couldn't believe what you were watching, that they were actually coming back against the Red Sox and putting those runs on the board. Uh, remember that, Wayne Gretzky scoring the goal that made him the greatest goal scorer in the history of the game. We, I did that. That was in, uh, against the Kings in the old, uh, the old forum. Uh, Ray Bork holding the cup up after all those years trying to win, moving out to the avalanche, and finally able to raise the cup. It meant the world to him, and I knew it because I knew Ray. And uh, to see that happen was just, uh, it was a real treat. Uh, I think when Tampa Bay won the cup the first time, John Tortorella was their coach. John was played at the University of Maine, and he played there when I was doing University of Maine hockey. So we had a long relationship and to see John celebrate that, uh, to win a Stanley Cup with that background that we had was really, was really great. Uh, yeah, those, I mean, those are just off the top. There yeah. have just been so many moments that, uh, that, were, that I was very fortunate to be involved in, uh, in both baseball and hockey and in football, too. Some college football games we did uh, were, were really exciting and fun. Uh, meeting Nick Saban for the first time and doing an Alabama bowl game. Uh, I mean, those are those are moments you just remember and you start thinking about them. They start rolling off. Uh, but those are some of the ones I highlight. It seems that there's an aspect of this competitive nature that takes over athletes as far as winning like the championship. It's so illustrious. It's so it's such a big deal. Um, and you were talking about how the uh, hockey player you're talking about, like hoisting it, meant so much. It's more a personal thing. It, it's deeper than just sports. So I, f I found that interesting as well. Um, looking into post-career, now that uh, you're teaching at Dunn, I just want to, or, and teaching um, at other places, what made you decide to start teaching? Obviously, you've done all this in your career. What made you want to teach people about sports journalism and what it takes? Well, <clears throat> I've taught all my life. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was an attorney, practicing in Maine after I got out of the Army JAG Corps, where I also did some teaching. Uh, 
I went back to Maine. I taught undergraduate business law at the University of Maine for seven years. Uh, I, I love teaching. Uh, I, caught, I taught some police uh, academy courses in constitutional law uh, back in Maine. Uh, and even while I was even while I was involved in the broadcast business, on the side, I was still doing some teaching. I just always want, I enjoy that. I enjoy the interaction uh, with students. I've always believed, you know, the best way to learn is teach. Uh, there's, no, there's no better way. It forces you to, to stay up to date. It forces you to think, it keeps your mind going. And so in, in sports journalism, uh, I mean, at Arizona State, they did not have a play-by-play type course. And... They asked if I would set one up and put it together and teach it, so I did that. And then right here at Dunn, because I live here, uh, they wanted to do something in the sports field and hadn't, hadn't really done that before, so they said, will you set up a course and do it? You know? And I said, sure, I mean, that's, because that's something I really enjoy doing. So it's just, it's, it's always been there, and uh, it's very gratifying for me personally uh, to do that sort of work because I, I just enjoy it. Yeah. I think it's especially great for kids who might not be into the realm already where you could like kind of light a fire under them and realize that, oh, maybe this is something I want to do if yep. that passion was already preexisted. Yep. Uh, the final question I want to ask, it's kind of has to do with like modern sports and where you think it's going to go um, from here. Do you find yourself still in tune with athletics? Like, do you still watch a ton of sports and – how have you seen that change from when you were announcing to now? And like, what do you think the future is going to look like? Well, I mean, one thought is overall an umbrella th- with all sports is that it's more than just the game now. Uh, talking about attending an event, the way ownerships and leagues view the attendance at sports is that you're coming for an entertainment opportunity that happens to involve the game. Let's take baseball as an example. In baseball stadiums now, you have these luxurious boxes, you have these great restaurants, you have betting booths, <laughs> you have playgrounds for kids. I mean, you have all kinds of extra things to make it an event. And yeah, the game's going on, but if you don't want to watch the game at a particular moment, you can go out and do all kinds of other things right there in the stadium. And the same thing's holding true, I think, for all sports. It's trying to make it an entertainment event. Whereas it used to be, it was just you went to the game. And the game was what mattered. It's what you watched. You didn't expect to have anything else. Uh, The coverage on television is obviously changing dramatically. ESPN's going to go streaming. That's a big deal. I mean, once they go, that tilts the whole thing away from cable and over-the-air sports and puts the big emphasis, really big emphasis, on streaming of sports. Well, that means it's available all the time, and people are going to be watching because they're videoing games, and we'll go back and watch games not live, but off videotape, which is, I have to admit is what I do a lot of, because I don't watch commercials. Yeah. Uh, so that's been, a big, that's been a big change in sports, and I think that's going to continue to, to continue to grow, to find other ways to make that entertainment part of the sports games even bigger. And for the owners and leagues, how do you make more money off that is what they're looking at, that they want to do. Uh, baseball is certainly the new rules I think are good. I think they've sped the game up. I think fans are more interested. The numbers seem to say that they are. There are more people watching. And uh, most of the comments have been positive about it. 
College football's in a revolutionary time period for me. I think you're going to have a Super League. I don't see how you're going to avoid it. Uh, with the portal situation, with players transferring, it's almost impossible to keep teams together for more than two years without losing key players. So I think you're going to end up with a Super League in football that's going to have, you know, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 clubs, yeah. the great big schools. They're going to be at one level competing against one another, and then there'll be everybody else. So I think it's, it's constantly, sports is constantly changing. It doesn't stay the same. Yeah. And it's big business. And so the underlying dollar amount really matters and how to generate more of that becomes more and more important as to what the sports look like. More than anything, you hit on it, but the accessibility from a fan's perspective seems like the uh, overarching theme uh, as far as right now, what uh, different networks are attempting to do, um, just targeting to the fan directly. And yeah. now they're, it's a you know, concrete part of the entertainment industry. Yeah, so sure is. I found that very interesting. Um, well, that's all I have Good. for today. <laughs> yeah. um, I really appreciate you being on, Mr. Thorne. Uh, it was a pleasure having you. Um, and I want to thank all of you guys at home for listening. A uh, lot of content on the way. Uh, but I appreciate you all for staying in, too. Signing off. Peace.